Christmas. It's good to see everybody. Um, I will be quicker, not too quick, but quicker. Uh, and I will reflect. I mean, how many of you have watched Christmas movies in this wonderful season? Are there any other Christmas movie watchers out there? I love watching Christmas movies. I say this every year. You got to get used to it. But uh, the Knit family tradition is to watch my favorite Christmas movie on December 23rd in the evening, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, it is my favorite. I love, I love the story and what Dickens is doing with that story. And then I, I like the Muppet version the best because of Rizzo the Rat's performance. He is hysterical. So if you haven't seen it for a while, take a deep drink of Rizzo. It's, it's great. But I watch other Christmas movies as well, and, and it is striking to me how, even if it's not a Christian story about the coming of Jesus, our culture has grabbed onto something, I don't even know, wondrous or magical happening during the Christmas season. Our culture feels it, and so it generates this longing and this, and this wondering, and, and many of the movies that I watch, maybe not all of them, but many of them are in some way, shape, or form trying to answer the question, what is the meaning of Christmas? <laughs> If you're paying attention, that's often what, and there's a variety of ways that movies try to answer that. I want to answer that this morning. Uh, you won't be surprised by my answer. That's why you're here. <laughs> but maybe you'll like hearing it again. Uh, we have one more week in our series. What we've been doing in this series is looking at some non-traditional texts of the Bible that prepare us for the coming of this baby King Jesus. And the, the, the traditional texts, and we've read many of them already this morning in Isaiah, but they, they create this longing for a king, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the Deliverer, our Savior to come. But what we've been doing in this series is looking at non-traditional texts, texts that as you read over them the first time, you might, not, you might not connect them to this coming baby. But now that Jesus has come, now that we know what we know about Jesus... When we go back and read the Old Testament, these texts pop. <laughs> in fact, if we're reading the Old Testament closely in the New Testament, our New Testament authors, I'm going to show you today, our New Testament authors are guiding us, are leading us to see this, this mysterious, uh, wondrous way of talking about God, even in the Old Testament. So we've been talking about the Trinity, right? But the apostles didn't have that language, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. They were finding other ways to talk about the one true God who has revealed himself to us as this community of love I have always been. We'll talk more about that tonight, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this community of love. And what I've been saying is the recipe kind of that, that was there for the apostles, the New Testament authors, to write about this God that we meet. The recipe, in three, three ingredients. The first is the Old Testament scriptures, and we're going to look at four this morning, kind of quickly, just a little pieces of them. But, but the Old Testament scriptures, we have to stay on that playing field. And then Jesus happens, right? And Jesus, what happens is Jesus comes along and he talks about himself and God as father and son. It starts to raise some of the questions. What's going on here? How can Jesus say things like, I and the father are one? Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and who the Son reveals them to. I mean, it just Jesus talks this way, and it's part of the ingredients that makes up the recipe for the apostles to understand God as a community of love. And then next week, New Year's Eve, we'll talk about the Spirit, Pentecost, right? Pentecost happens too. So you have the Old Testament Scriptures, 
which on their own, you wouldn't land at the Trinity. But now that we know what we know about Jesus and the coming of the Spirit, we go back and we read the Old Testament with Jesus as our guide. I mean, Jesus was teaching us to read that this whole story is all about him and all culminates in him. He is the one we've been longing for. And so what we've been doing is looking at these phrases, these categories, these concepts. It's not everything, but there's a few we could call them attributes of God that get blurry. It's blurry. We, we, the first week we talked about the Word of God, and then we talked about the name of God, and last week we talked about the wisdom of God. Today is really fun to, to study this week, the glory of God. They're blurry because there's a few passages in the Old Testament, these phrases pop, and you wonder, is that the Word of God or is it God Himself? And and the answer is yes, (laughs) which is why John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Son is distinct from the Father, but the Word was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God, one God, three persons, is revealed to us in this biblical story. We're going to talk about the glory of God today. And I will tell you this too. Honestly, maybe someday we'll come back to this and do a whole series on this (laughs) because there are layers to this. We're primarily going to talk about one aspect of glory in the Old Testament. The glory of God is often referring to the visible splendor. That's why sometimes when I read through the Old Testament, I see the word glory. It's kind of this ambiguous word. What is glory? Sometimes I'll just read it as the beauty of God. visible splendor. But glory also, you you, you can understand this, it can also mean like honor and reputation. And so we will talk about giving glory to God. We glorify God. And and, and then this is where it even gets cooler why a series, I can't do it this morning, but but God will glorify us someday. In fact, Romans 8, we've been glorified in Christ. So so there's layers to glory, the glory of God. But we're going to hone in on this visible splendor in our main verse, which we'll start with and we'll come back to John chapter 1, verse 14. And again, honestly, doing this series, I will never read the gospel of John the same way again. Because I didn't realize, I'm I'm pretty convinced, these passages that we've been looking at in the Old Testament are echoing in John's mind. He's intentionally referring to them as he writes his gospel to help us understand the dynamic of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that it's always been this way. Really cool. John 1.14, and the Word, the Word that was in the beginning, the Word that was with God and was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word there is literally tabernacled among us, so that'll be important for the text I chose to look at. The tabernacle, the temple, we'll talk about that. Literally tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, the one and only, the unique one full of grace and truth, the embodiment of what love really is. (laughs) So let's go ahead and let's just, we'll go rather quickly. I told you I don't want to take too much time, but we're going to start because the word tabernacles dwells among us. We're going to look at, there's so many more patches that we could look at, but we're going to look at the ones that primarily deal with this idea of God's glory manifesting itself among the people. And you'll feel this blurry tension. Are we talking about God or the glory of God? The answer is yes. Because we could say in the beginning was the glory of God. The glory was with God and the glory was God. We could say that. I think John would be fine with that. But this is how Exodus ends. Moses has built this tent that he's going to meet with God as God is leading the Israelites through the wilderness. And look, look at what happened. Verse 34. 
chapter 40, Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and here it is, the glory of the Lord, there's our phrase, filled the tabernacle. Now, is God filling the tabernacle, or is it just His glory? The answer is yes. (laughs) And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So we're going to notice some things. Again, there's more text going on. We're just going to look at four. But I want to just highlight a few of the key things that then become important and why it grabs our apostles' attention as they talk about Jesus. But for one thing, I don't want you to just picture the fog that was around last night and this morning. It doesn't say the fog. It says the cloud. I want you to think, where do clouds come from? They come from the sky. Heaven is coming down to earth. I mean, that's the imagery. And as we talk about the glory of the Lord, especially early on before we get to the prophets, the glory of the Lord is often manifested with cloud and fire. And you'll see radiance. (laughs) Okay, so we move from the tabernacle. We'll fast forward quite a bit after the time of King David comes King Solomon. He builds the temple. He dedicates the temple. Well, what happens when he does? Chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, verses 1, 2, and 3. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down. Here's fire. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And here it is again. The glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord. I mean, it's tangible. (laughs) It's somehow visible in fire and cloud, but it's tangible too, and they can't even enter in. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed down. This is what we'll do at the end. We worship. They bowed down with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped, and they gave praise to the Lord. And what do they say as they see and experience the glory of the Lord? What do they say? Truly, He is good. Oh, this God is good. What else can we say about Him but He is good, and His loving kindness is everlasting. Now, that's something. You're gazing upon the beauty of God when you can say, oh, he's good. His love never ends. It never fails. It never runs out. All right, well, we'll move on. Now we're going to move because the prophets then take us to another level of preparation. And so I'll read, and you'll see why. This will become clear as we keep going. But I'm going to read from Isaiah 6, very, very famous passage if you've been around the Bible much. Isaiah 6, I'll kind of read and skim a little bit, but we'll pick up in verse 1. And I'll just try to draw this out so you can, again, imaginatively enter into what Isaiah is experiencing. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. This is the next thing. Again, there's more passages like this, but as you start to talk about the glory, there's cloud, there's fire, and you'll see there is some figure on a throne. It's really interesting. Isaiah can't say too much about the figure on the throne, actually. He says he sees the Lord on the throne, but what he really sees is the train of his robe filling the temple. That's what he describes. I think there's something above the train of the robe, but I can't really describe that. I'm just going to say it's the Lord on the the throne. And then you've got these seraphim, these angelic beings in verse 2 around him, and one of them calls out in verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his full of his glory. <laughs> I mean, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about how Jesus fills all things everywhere with his self. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Verse 4, and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Stuff's going on. They can see it. 
And there's even more we could preach, I'll hold back. But verse five, Isaiah says, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But this is the part I want you to see. Isaiah says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then he's gonna go on and be forgiven. It's beautiful, it's a great story. (laughs) But I want you to see that line because John saw that line, the apostle John. The one who's writing about Jesus, he saw that line. We'll come back to that. And then our last passage in the Old Testament before we move to the New is in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's kind of a crazy book, and he's getting this, this vision. He's in Babylon in exile. He's getting this vision of the temple, and he, he calls it a vision of God at the beginning, but then it's about the glory of God. And again, we're left with the question, is this God or the glory of God? And the answer is yes. <laughs> But it's kind of like this platform with wheels. It's like this chariot wheels, and there's these living creatures around it, and it's, it's quite a lot to take in as you try. You might have to read through Ezekiel chapter 1 several times. <laughs> but ultimately, we get to the end of this first chapter, and this is what he says. Above the expanse that was over their heads, these living creatures, he says there was something resembling a throne. Here we are. There's a throne again. He says, like lapis lazuli in appearance, just sapphire blue, sky blue. I mean, it's coming from heaven. It's it's like sky blue. And and on that, which resembled a throne high up, was a figure with the appearance of a man. So Isaiah, he's going to say, I saw the Lord on the throne, but I'm just going to tell you about his his robes. (laughs) Ezekiel's going to go even farther. No, 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 no. Somehow, you'll see in the midst of the glory of God... There's an appearance of a human being on a throne. It's an interesting thing to have there, to be, to be preparing for. Verse 27 goes even farther. I, I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins downward, I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. There's that word radiance. But again, if you pause, he's like, I don't even know what to say. All I know is I see this, what looks like a human being on a throne, but he's on fire waist down. And waist up, he's just glowing. Radiance. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm lacking. It's just radiance and glory. And then verse 28, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of, here it is, the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. I worship. But I just want you to see, this is just, this is just a small foretaste of what we could have talked about with the glory of the Lord. But I want you to see there's, there's clouds, there's, there's something visible. It's tangible. It's real. And at the center of it is what looks to be a human being on a throne. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> That catches the apostles' attention. So let me reread John 1, 14. The word John says, and he wants you to see this, because I actually think Ezekiel's in the back of his mind. The word doesn't appear in the flesh. The word became flesh. Now, this is where we wouldn't, we wouldn't, know, we wouldn't know this on the Old Testament alone, but because Jesus has come, now we go back and we see, oh, the glory of the Lord has always been Jesus. And here he becomes flesh. He becomes one of us. I mean, when we celebrate this, what is the meaning of Christmas, this baby? The meaning is the glory of the Lord has come in our midst to redeem us, to rescue us, to remind us of who we were always meant to be. 
to love us out of the darkness and into the light. (laughs) That's the meaning of Christmas, the glory of God in this baby. We beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Actually, that reference is just on your own if you're interested. Go home and read. I don't have time to do it. Exodus 33 and 34. (laughs) Moses asking to see the glory of God and what does God do and show and say to Moses. That's all in John's mind as he's writing the beginning of John chapter 1. Well, you might say, well, that's cool. I wish John had said more. Well, he does. So let's go to John chapter 12. We'll pick up in verse 37. Now, one of the things that's interesting around this idea, especially in the prophets of the glory of the Lord, it often, because of the radiance of the light, it often has something to do with we're in darkness and God has sent forth his light. He is shining in the darkness. And so that's often in the background. So you see it even here in John chapter 12, verse 37. Though he had performed Jesus so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. They were living in darkness. And this is that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled. He spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Not just some random quote from John. He is quoting from Isaiah 53. Some of you know. Some of you don't. Write it down. Look it up. It is called the Suffering Servant Song. John is saying this one who has come, this word became flesh, is one who will go to the cross and offer up his life so that you and I can have life. He will suffer on our behalf. He will allow evil to do its worst to him so he can rescue us and save us and overwhelm evil with good. Why? Because he is good and his love is everlasting. That's why. But John doesn't stop there. So Isaiah 53, great verse. But then he says, verse 39, for this cause they could not believe for Isaiah said again. This is in Isaiah 6, verse 10. I didn't read it. It's there. He has blinded their eyes, they're in the darkness. He has hardened their heart, that lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. And then John writes this. I have it in the NAS, because that's what I've been reading from, but I put it in the NIV so you can see it very clearly. Verse 41, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. NIV makes it clear. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory. (laughs) That's how John understands what Isaiah is saying in chapter 6, verse 5, when he says, I've seen the king. I saw the Lord on the throne. I've seen the king. John says he saw Jesus, the glory of God. (laughs) You say, well, that's cool. I wish another New Testament author had said something about this. They did, okay. (laughs) I'll be really quick. But Paul says this. This is one of my favorite passages. 2 Corinthians, verse 4, verses 3 to 6. Again, in this contest of darkness and veiledness and light shining, he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see, listen to this, the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. What is the meaning of Christmas? This little baby born in a manger is going to grow up and show all of humanity who God is and who we were meant to be. <laughs> what, your, what, what, your, what your soul is longing for, what your whole life is about, what you're yearning for, what you're longing for, what you're looking for right here in this baby, the glory of God, the beauty of God. <laughs> 
And then he says this, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And then listen to verse six, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where does he give it? In the face of Jesus Christ. So glory is kind of like this. What, what, what does glory mean? And you, maybe you need to go on a journey to learn what glory means in the biblical narrative, but I'll tell you where you start. You start by looking into the face of Jesus. If you're new to church, if you haven't been to church for a while, read a gospel. I said it, say it all the time. I'll say it again tonight. <laughs> read a gospel. Get to know, read the gospel of John. Look into the face of Jesus and get to know the glory of God. Get to know why you're here. Get to know how much God loves you. Get to know how much meaning and purpose your life can have if you follow your Savior. And I know things are hard in the world, and I know, I know, I hear there's a lot of darkness, but notice where there's darkness, God sends his light. Jesus is the light of the world. He enlightens all people, and his light will overwhelm the darkness. Just be patient. It's part of being a disciple of Jesus. And then I could stop there, but one more bonus, because just one verse. One more New Testament author. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We'll be doing Hebrews, actually, starting in January. So here's a little teaser. This is how the author of Hebrews begins this letter. Verse 3, chapter 1. And Jesus is, here's that word again, radiance. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus holds all things together in love. And when he made purifications of sins, when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was buried, and then he was vindicated by the Father. He was resurrected, and he ascended. And, and the author says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, on a throne. And Jesus, the New Testament tells us, is still fully God, and he is still fully human. And he is rescuing us, all of us who run to him. I love it. So our response, what's our response? I just want to worship. I mean, that's all I want to do. Maybe this morning and this evening too. We just we want to worship. I want you, I want to invite you this morning to follow the light of God's glory as a worshiper. Not as a journalist, not as an investigator, okay? I mean, there's a place for that and a time for that. But we don't just want to learn about Jesus. We want to meet with him. We confess that he is alive right now, seated on a throne, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you can behold the glory of God as you get to know him. And, and I'm, I'm just... You can ask all kinds of questions. You can have all kinds of doubt. At some point, you just got to bow your head and bend your knee and worship. I want to invite you this morning, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, worship Jesus. We're going to continue with communion. Communion is an invitation. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, if you're comfortable with saying, maybe it's crazy, but you... Hearing comes. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Maybe this morning, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It just makes, he's Savior and Lord. <laughs> I can say that. Well, then you are invited to participate in this meal. It's tangible. In the same way the priest couldn't go into the temple or the tabernacle, it's tangible. You're going to hold the bread and the juice. 
can hold it. You can encounter Jesus there. We're going to have a space. Just The worship team is going to play music, and you're going to have a chance to just sit with Jesus. And maybe, maybe as you're sitting with Jesus, you just, you just want to begin by telling him how great he is. <laughs> You recognize the gift of life that you have and that he loves you. Just whatever you want to say to him, say it to him. Or maybe sometimes, maybe you do come, you, you stare at the cross and you think about what he's done for you and you, and you have this sense of, I've been, I've been short of his glory. I haven't lived up to this glorious standard. He's telling me what it means to be human. I haven't been like that. Maybe this is a time of confession and you get to receive another gift this Christmas, the gift of the forgiveness of God. Or whatever, maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's you, you, you're just somebody you love. I mean, everybody in this room has somebody they love that's going through a hard season. Maybe you just spend your time interceding for that person in prayer, just praying for them, whatever. But meet with Jesus. We're, we're going to worship through communion, then we're going to worship through music, and then you're going to go forth into your holiday, and you can worship by loving others as you've been loved. That's what we'll talk about tonight. We love because he first loved us.